We are, <clears throat> excuse me, we are now into week 14 of our study in the book of James, and we are coming to a rapid close. In fact, next week will be our last week, 15, chapter, or week 15, finish up chapter 5, and we will be all done, and uh, then we will be stepping into something brand new. But it's been quite the journey. At least it has been for me. I hope it's been for you. For those of you here for the very first time, you're going, man, I, I've missed 14 weeks. It's all right. We're not, you're not going to, you know, we're going to get you caught up to speed in a place where you get to pick up where we are this Sunday. But really what we've done over the past 14 weeks is we have marched verse by verse by verse by verse through the book of James, unpacking God's truth for our life in a series that I've entitled Life Authentic. And as I mentioned each week, really the series was born out of my own frustration with my kind of mediocre spiritual life, my sort of life in the middle. I was content and living in contentment. And I thought, God, I know that you have so much more for me. So what am I missing? And as I began to study and read the book of James, it began, God began to open my eyes to the fact that he desires all of my life, every little portion of it. And, and, and I really kind of began to think that if we all gave our lives completely and totally to the Lord and quit living in spiritual mediocrity, understanding who God is and how he created us and what he created us for, it would turn our lives upside down. And hopefully what this series has done for you is it's sort of made you uncomfortable. Somewhere along the way, God has made you uncomfortable. And that's kind of what I've been praying. I've been praying all along that God would take these words and he would begin to unsettle our lives <clears throat> so that we could no longer just sit still, walk in and out of church and say, you know, that was all right or this was all right. But we'd walk out of church and say, God, I've got to come face to face with your word and it is kind of messing up my life. So... That's where we've been and, and kind of how we're going to wrap up. But last week, we, uh, let me give you a little bit of recap because it's important because they, they kind of, these two things that we're doing kind of tie together. But last week, we started chapter five, and for six short verses, James shifts audiences. All of chapter one, two, three, and four are really written straight to this sort of group of Jewish Christians that are living as followers of Christ. And then chapter five, in six verses, he shifts his attention to a totally different group of people. He actually addresses this group of lost, kind of worldly, wealthy people that are oppressing a lot of these Jewish Christians. And for six verses, James addresses that group of people. And we sort of unpack this warning that he gives these um, kind of rich, wealthy oppressors, these lost people. He warns them about the material trappings of the world. And we unpacked that and we looked at it as a warning for our own lives. And just kind of by way of quick recap... We look at this because it was really important for us to understand how close we are to falling in love with the world. And I kind of laid out a few things, and, and, and I'm going to unpack them real quickly for you because they're going to be important as we think about how we move, move into next. And we talked about the dangers and the enticings and the trappings of the world and the material and how quickly you and I as followers of Christ can fall into those things. And I mentioned to you that most of the time the, 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 our love affair with the things of the world, our love affair with money and stuff is, is really driven by fear. It's driven by fear, not fear of roller coasters or spiders or snakes and things like that, but really fear of, of trusting Jesus, which we're going to talk about this morning. And really a lack of trust in Jesus boils down to us saying, God, I just don't believe that you're enough for me. And we talked about really what that looks like, that fear of being able to say, Jesus, you are all I need, and how most of us wrestle with that. And so our love of stuff and money and things is really a lack of trust in Jesus. We talked about how saving and how James unpacks the idea of saving and hoarding quickly becomes hoarding. Saving quickly becomes hoarding. And I talked about the idea that savings accounts aren't wrong and saving for retirement and college accounts, none of that stuff's wrong. But there's a very fine line between saving 
and hoarding? And what's your attitude towards your stuff? What's your attitude towards money? And I said the number one way to look at this is really examine your giving life. What's your giving life look like? Do you wait until your financial life is in order and then give out of your abundance, right? Those kind of things are warning signs that our saving is becoming a hoarding, a gathering of this is mine. And I mentioned that all the stuff that we have as followers of Christ doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Jesus. Your very life is a gift from the Lord. We talked about it in James chapter 1. You are a servant of Christ, which means your life and your stuff is not yours. You belong to Jesus. What's your attitude when it comes to your stuff, right? We talked about the fact that we, once our saving goes to hoarding, right, that if we focus on stuff and things, we quickly go blind to the things around us. That if we're really focused on getting our life together, securing our financial world, we can quickly go blind to the plight and the struggle of other people. And I, I really believe that we get so focused on our selfishness, our, our selfishness get so focused on ourselves that we forget the struggle that people are having around us, right? And we've created churches in the same category that we want to take care of our own needs, and then we give out of our abundance. So once we get our programs and our building and those things secure, then we give. We looked at all those things, and then at the very end, I said this. I said, I want to challenge you to something, because a lot of times we walk into church, and we say, that's good, and we walk out, and nothing really is altered in our lives. The thought I challenged everybody to last week was to find something in your life of great value. Didn't have to be financial value. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, and give it away. Whatever it was, give it away. Find that thing of value and give it away. Not just to, so maybe it's not to just some, some homeless guy or poor person or whatever, but maybe you need to give something away to your family, to a friend. What is the Lord calling you to do and part with it? And I've heard three unbelievable stories. And I pray that you took that seriously, that you examined your life and you said, God, I'm going to give this away. Something of value to me I want to give away because we want to be in the habit of giving our lives away. And we talked about how Jesus' sacrifice of his own life was the ultimate picture. You know, and if Jesus can give up his life for us on the cross, yet we hold on to our $800 in our savings account like crazy, how does that work? How do we reconcile that with a God that gave his whole life? We talked about giving something of value away. My prayer is that if you haven't, you really will take that seriously. That you'll say, okay, God, I want to be convicted. I want to give it away. Something of great value to me, I want to give away. So press that upon my heart. So James really does this with this group of wealthy, worldly, lost people, instructing them and challenging them and pushing them. And this morning he turns his attention, right on the heels of that, back to this group of Jewish Christians that is being held in in oppression, that's being oppressed by this group of wealthy, world-lost people. These Jewish Christians are living in oppression to them, and James really addresses them, and he says, in light of all those things that I just warned these folks about, right, that we kind of gained a big warning from last week as well, I want you to hear two things, right? And I want to talk to you about two things, and it's a real simple message. And he talks to these Jewish Christians about patience, about living in patience, and living in perseverance. And so this morning, what we're going to do is not try and get real cute and fancy with this text, but just look at the simple message that James lays out for these followers of Christ. That when life gets hard, when the struggles come, when the trials come, how do we live in patience? And how do we live in perseverance? Because as a culture, patience is a word that we hate. So how do we live in it? How do we deal with it, and how do we understand what God is talking about? So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn your attention to James chapter 5. There's one should be somewhere right in front if you don't have one. I'd like for you to use your own Bible so you know that I'm not making this stuff up. Plus, it's just good for you to read the Bible. So uh, James 5, verse 
7 is where we're going to be this morning. And before we kind of open it up and dive into it, let's take a moment. Let's just pray together. Lord, what a cool morning this is. We get to celebrate the women in our lives. Um, Father, and, and for a lot of us, in all honesty, maybe mom was not a wonderful picture of love or compassion, or maybe we didn't have a mom, but God, you probably put someone in our life that has loved us in that sacrificial way. And Lord, what a great kind of morning it is to celebrate uh, the way that you've taken people to love our lives. Uh, Father, the women in our life that have nurtured us and loved us. And so we ask that you would bless them. The Father, they may not find their self-worth in words that are given to them by their husbands or by their children, but they would find worth in the words that are given to you by them, that are given them by you, excuse me. God, they would be honored to know that you love them and that you cherish them and that you have carved out a role for their life. What a great celebration it was this morning to be able to celebrate dedicating these two sweet babies to parents that want to nurture them and raise them to love Jesus. And God, as a church, we want to take that so seriously to be able to step into that role and say, God, we want to love kids into relationship with Christ. It's a responsibility we take seriously. And then, God, we get to open up your word together and really dive into a couple of ideas that most of us, well, I really, really struggle with. And that's living lives that wait on you and that are willing to grow and mature in you under trial and struggle. So God, if there's something going in our life this morning that we need to deal with, lay it on our heart right now. I pray that you would press that on our heart. Don't let us run from it, and don't let us escape it. But Father, convict us as we come face to face with your word. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask God to, to prepare you for the next 15 minutes or so just to meet with him. Just ask God to move in your heart. Pray for someone beside you, in front of you, behind you. Maybe you don't know them, maybe you do. Just pray for them. Be in the habit of praying for the people around you. As I say every single week, pray that God will move in their lives. Be someone that prays for other people. God, as we open your word, we know that we're going to encounter you. Your word is truth, it is living, it is active, and we don't take it lightly. So, Father, penetrate our hearts, convict us where we need to be convicted, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and challenge us where we need to be challenged. And let us walk out of here changed because we encountered the living God. We ask this in your holy and perfect name. Amen. So James is following this first few verses in five, coming on the heels of the challenge that he gave us last week. Now he shifts and he's addressing a lot of believers that are living in trial, that are living in struggle, that are living in persecution, that are living under oppression. All right, now most of us don't have to live in those circumstances. We don't live every day wondering if today will be the day that we die because we call ourselves a Christian. We don't have to worry about that kind of oppression, but we do live in difficulty. We do live in struggle, and I don't want to take that lightly. A lot of us in here this morning are dealing with significant things, relational issues. We're dealing with work issues. We're dealing with fears and insecurities. We're battling life. And life has a way of piling up on us. And so you might find yourself this morning living in the middle of stuff. And I think that James' words are for you and they're for me this morning as well. Listen to what he says. Let's look at verse 7, chapter 5 together. He says, Be patient, brothers, followers of Christ, until the Lord's coming. 
See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen the Lord, what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So James really does two things here, all right? He's really kind of giving a simple word of encouragement to these believers that are living in trial and struggle and persecution, all right? He addressed their oppressors, these people that are lost and, and really kind of persecuting and living with this sort of uh, oppression over these Jewish believers. And now he shifts in the attention. He says, listen, I want to tell you two things and I want you to pay attention to them. And they're real simple. I want you to live in patience and I want you to live with perseverance. And I started looking at these words and I thought they're words we hear all the time. Love is patient. You know, we talk about patience. We talk about having patience. And, and for us, in a cultural standpoint, patience really is just sort of kind of a wait and see. You know, I, I know it's not going to happen yet, but we just kind of wait for it. And, but I started thinking about how the Bible uses the idea of patience and how misguided we are culturally. Because patience is something we don't have. As a culture, think about it. I mean, everything that we need and want is at our fingertips, from information to stuff. I mean, have you been to Amazon lately and ordered a book, and when it looks, it says standard shipping three to five days, and you think, five days? I mean, that sounds like forever. You know, because it seems like now we want things, we want them now. So we've got an iPad or a Kindle or whatever, you can have a book in 15 seconds, right? Everything that we have is at our fingertips. Patience or waiting or sort of... Well, it's just not something we do, and we can't stand it, because you and I want solutions to our problems, right? We want remedies. And when we look at our spiritual lives, our cultural understanding of patience really pours over. Because when we struggle with life, when we have fears and anxieties and issues and struggles, when work is piling on us, when, when life is piling on us, we want out of that situation. We want it gone. We don't want patience. We want solutions. But the Bible never talks about solutions. It always talks about the process. Always. When you read scripture and people are dealing with things, it's always about the process and never about the end. God never promises the solution. He never promises the end. He promises the journey in the middle. And the journey in the middle is what gets us over here. And scripture talks about that all the time. And that's what James is really doing here. He's redefining patience for these folks that are stuck in difficult life. He's not saying, hey, it will get better. You know what he says? He says, hey, what the Lord is coming. Be patient. Jesus is coming back. It's not exactly encouraging for those of us that want solutions to our problems. James doesn't say, hey, look, you're being persecuted, you're being oppressed. Hang in there for two weeks and I promise it'll get better. He says, guess what? Jesus is coming back sometime. Patience is really interesting. And as I began to unpack this word, I really realized that there were two things that patience is anchored in from a biblical perspective. And they're things I talk about a lot, but I think they're things that bear repeating. The first is trust. Patience is anchored in trust. Trust. I talk about trusting Jesus a lot really for two reasons. One, because the Bible talks about it all the time. And the second is because we're really bad at it. So why not talk about it all the time? Because the Bible teaches it and we don't do it. But patience is anchored 
in trust? Do you really trust the God that you say you believe in? Now, we're all good at trusting Jesus, right? I mentioned this a lot. We're all good at trusting Jesus when life is working, right? When our paycheck's coming in on time, when our kids are healthy, when, when the, you know, the, the payments are being made and, and, and life is sort of working. We can trust Jesus and we love that. But when calm goes to chaos, when the storms of life come, when things get kind of swept up, when our job is all of a sudden really tentative or when things are, are a little bit more chaotic, then what happened to the God that gave sight to the blind, the God that fed 5,000, the God that healed the leper, the God that has protected you and provided for you time and time and time again? Where did he go? See, our trust quickly goes out the window when life turns to chaos. When life gets tough and struggles come, all of a sudden, our trust goes. Patience is built on trusting Jesus in the middle of that life. And not trusting Jesus that there's an end, but trusting Jesus in the middle of the process. That God, I believe that because you say who you are and you say what you will do, I believe in your promises. And I believe that for the past 20 years of my life or whatever it's been, you have been so faithful to me why is my memory going to get short now? Patience begins with believing that God is who he says he is and that God can do what he says he'll do. The reason we're impatient is because we don't want the process. We want the end. And I'll get to more about that in a second. Tr patience is built on trust. It's also built on hope. Now, hope's an interesting word, right, culturally, because in our culture, hope really is used to express uncertainty. All right, not certainty. It's used to, think about how you use it, really. Well, I hope this will happen. I don't really know, but I'm hoping it will, right? I, I, I hope I win the lottery. I don't really know if it's going to happen, but I really hope that I will. Or my only hope is that, you know, my boss doesn't do this. I mean, we don't really know when it comes to hope. Hope is sort of that, sort of, that word we use to express our uncertainty, but the, the, you know, the part of us that kind of wishes it will happen, but we really have no idea. When the Bible uses the idea of hope or uses the word hope, it actually is not expressing uncertainty at all. It expresses certainty. My hope is in the Lord. That's not uncertain. It's a, it's a statement about certainty. Life is chaotic, but my hope is in Jesus. You see how the Bible uses the idea of hope. Hope is built on certainty, not uncertainty. I think a lot of us, our spiritual lives are built on wishful thinking, right? We, we don't really know how things are going to go and things are tough right now. And so we just sort of hope that God will, will do some things to remedy it. But I don't want to put too much expectation on God because I don't want to be let down when what I want doesn't happen. So we use Jesus as a sort of outsourced optimism and life could be a lot worse, but I don't really expect all that much. It's a tragedy. Patience is built on the trust that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he's going to do and that he's enough for you. And hope, confident expectation that God is God. And that's what, that's what James is telling these believers. Listen to what he says to them. He says, listen, think about the farmers for a moment. They wait for the land to yield its valuable crop, right? They wait on the autumn and spring rains. You know, in Israel, the rains really came, in the Middle East, they really came twice a year. There were the spring rains and the autumn rains. The autumn rains came in October and November, right after seed was planted, and the spring rains came in March and April, right before the harvest. 
And the farmer would do all he could. He would go out there and he would plant those seeds. But without the rain, that plant would not grow. At some point in time, they had to trust. Patience is built on trust. Do you believe that God will bring the rain? Doesn't mean he's going to do it all the time and on your timing. But do you believe that God really will provide and protect the way he says he will? You know, for my own life and my own mediocre kind of living, my memory is really short. God will provide for me time and time and time and time again. But when I find myself in the middle of whatever that struggle is, man, all of a sudden I panic. Trust is reminding myself that God has never let me go. And it's hope, not only in anticipating his return, but hope in the fact that God is bigger than all that I know confident expectation that in the resurrection of Christ we've been given new life and he looks at these folks and he says look Jesus will come back this world is not the end there is something greater don't grumble against each other don't get fussy don't fight right because the Lord is standing at the door in other words think about the bigger picture patience now, I know what you're thinking Treb's talking about me going out here today and just this whatever situation I'm in just kind of just grin and bear it that's not patience. I'm not talking about that at all. Don't grin and bear it. That's not biblical patience at all. Biblical patience is saying, God, I trust you. And I have a confident expectation that you are who you say you are. And I'm going to live in joy. The second thing James mentions in these verses, he talks about perseverance. Now, perseverance and patience go hand in hand, but they're very different. All right, very different. Let's look at these verses, and then I'll explain the difference. Verse 10, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Now, patience and perseverance go hand in hand, but they're not the same. Patience, as I said, is, is built on trust, and it's built on hope. It's built on believing that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he's going to do, and he will never leave you nor forsake you, for that is the promise of Scripture. And I am confident in the eternal life that is my promise in Jesus Christ. Perseverance, on the other hand, is living faithfully in the middle of life's difficult struggles. Right? It's actually an action-driven life. And he uses a couple of examples. He uses the example of the prophets. He goes, look how the prophets persevered. There was no worse job in all of the world, I still think that to this day, than being a prophet. Think about what your job was. Your job was to share the word of the Lord with the most powerful people on earth. And oftentimes it was the one thing they didn't want to hear. You were always bearing bad news to these powerful people, and their response was almost always to want to kill you. Always. Very seldom do we see people in Scripture respond with great joy to the word of the Lord. They respond in fear. They respond in uh, resentment and anger and fighting. And then ultimately God knocks them at their knees. But the role of a prophet was a mess because they were the mouthpiece of God. And so James says, persevere. What that basically means is that you live faithfully to God's call in your life even in the middle of difficulty. What did the prophet do? They faithfully delivered God's truth, even when it could cost them their very life. Perseverance is that part of us that says, God, I will live in the middle of this struggle, and I will find great joy. Do you remember 14 weeks ago? Probably not. I don't remember yesterday. But do you remember 14 weeks ago when we first started talking about James? James chapter 1. 
want to read this to you because I want you to, we want to go back here and trace perseverance from here. James 1, 2 through 3, listen to this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Living in the middle of struggle and difficulty, being faithful to God's call on your life to find great joy, consider it joy, develops perseverance, perseverance maturity. You know what the problem with this is? Is that we don't want perseverance. It's like my dad used to say, you know, hey, it builds character, carry four bags. I didn't want character, I wanted to carry one bag, right? All of our parents have always said, you know, tough, tough times build character. We don't want character, we just want to be done with whatever that is. We don't want perseverance. We want the problem to go away. And this is why most of us live spiritual mediocre lives. Because we are so fixated on getting rid of the struggles in our life that we won't understand that God is maturing us and growing us into relationship with him in the middle of it. See, it's in the middle of those struggles, those trials, those difficulties that Jesus is developing a relationship with us, and as James says, maturing us, developing perseverance, completing us in Christ. And so most of us forego growth and maturity in Christ to get on with the getting on. And when we do that, we opt for mediocrity. When we're more, when we're more excited about getting out of the dilemma than we are seeing Jesus in the middle of it, we miss out on growing in Christ. That's what he's basically saying to these believers. He's saying, look at Job. Look at, the, look at the, uh, the prophets. They were faithful to God's call in their life. They weren't so content on, or, or you know, bent on getting to the end. But they met Jesus in the middle, or they met the Lord in the middle. This, to me, is the crux of the entire book of James. Will I find joy in the middle of my life today? Seeking Jesus with everything I am? Or am I more content with just getting somewhere else? The entire book of James is really built on living life right here, right now, today. Most of us live with this picture of life down the road. If I can just get here, just get there, then things will be better. Guess what? They probably won't. Just a different set of problems. You're going to exchange one for the other. That's life. With moments of ease in between, it's just Struggle between struggle if we don't see Jesus. But when you begin to focus your life on Jesus Christ, that's not what life looks like anymore. All of a sudden, it looks like a journey. And a journey is never about the destination, but always about what happens along the way. Right? Think about that. When you see people journey, even in epic movies, right? The journey's always about what happens along the way. It's never about what happens when you get there. It's always about the people that you meet and the things that you conquer and the victories that you see. That's why I'm calling this a journey through the book of James because it's not about getting from verse 1 to end of chapter 5 and going, look, we finished a book in the Bible. It's about meeting Jesus along the way and saying, look what you are doing in the middle of this journey of my life. Because if your goal is just to simply alleviate your problems, to find some kind of material comfort in life, get a savings account together and lip. Raise a happy family. If that's really the end goal for you, you're missing out on God's entire call for your life. 
But what if your life was about trusting and hoping in Christ, living in the middle of every moment of your life to find great joy and meeting people along the way that you can share this love of Christ with? What if that was the journey we walked on? I love how James ends this section. Listen to this. Patience and perseverance. And then he says this, verse 11. I turn to chapter 1. That's not going to be it. Verse 11, he says this. Uh, Let's find it. There it is. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So he says, patience and perseverance. And then he says this. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I've told you this before, I'll say it again. Compassion and mercy, we often use them interchangeably, but they're very different, right? Mercy is that, it's the fact that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. That you and I are sinful, broken people, and we deserve to go to hell, be separated from God. Like it or not, it's the truth of Scripture. I'm not making it up, right? We don't like to hear people say that, that we deserve to go to hell, but it's true. You've got sin and garbage in your life. You deserve to be separated from God. I deserve to be separated from God. We deserve the worst, but God's mercy is that he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He lavished us with the love of Jesus Christ at the cross, raised us up from the dead. And God's mercy saves us, rescues us from our certain death spiritually. That's God's mercy. God's compassion, by definition, compassion is to basically see the plight and struggle of another and desire to relieve it. So when I have compassion on someone, it's not just pity. It's, I see their hurt and their pain, and I have a deep desire to relieve that pain. God has that same compassion. He sees our struggle and our hurt and our trial and our difficulty and our affliction, and he has a desire to relieve it. What James says is, listen, in the middle of your struggle and difficulty in life, in the middle of your oppression, in the middle of a life that is being persecuted, in the middle of all those things that are going on, I want you to understand, be patient because the Lord is coming. Persevere, which means stand firm to the call. Why? Because God is merciful, right? God is merciful, he rescued you, and God is compassionate, he loves you. That is why we live in patience and perseverance, because God loves me and God rescued me. What James is saying is that what needed to happen has been done. God's extravagant love has been lavished on you. He's delivered you from mercy as you trust in Jesus, or delivered you from death because you trust in Jesus Christ. And his love is lavished upon your life. So live in that truth. Quit living as if those things don't exist. Patience, trust, and hope in Jesus Christ. Perseverance, I'm going to live faithfully right here. Even in this difficult moment, God, I will be faithful. Why? Because you rescued me with your mercy, and because you love me with your compassion. Most of us, when we get in the middle of difficulty and struggle, we think God has forgotten us. God's compassion means that not only has God not forgotten you, but he wants to remedy your life, relieve you of that pain. But God is more interested in you knowing him than is about fixing your problems. Remember, scripture is never about the solution to these struggles. It's always about the journey. It's always about where we meet God along the way. Today, as we wrap up and close up in worship, what I want you to think about is this. Where have I become impatient in my spiritual life? What do I want God just to take away? Maybe I should say, God, I want to meet you in the middle of it. Maybe this morning, it's not so much about learning to just sort of grin and bear it, but instead it's saying, God, I want to see you in the middle of it. So financial life is tight. So your job is on the line. So your kids are really struggling. So your marriage is just not where you want it to be. 
The solution may not be what happens here. The solution may be what happens right here with me and Jesus. Because I promise what happens with you and Jesus will change how you see the outcome. All of a sudden, the solution to our big problems is not a bigger bank account. It's not a little bit more security, right? It's what James says in chapter 1. It's joy in the middle. Patience. Maybe it's time to live in it. Let's pray.